Welcome to the Back Nine Report, presented by eDraft.com. Presented by eDraft.com. We go live every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and check in on the world of golf to bring you the latest news, insights, analysis, interviews, recaps, previews. Hey, we cover anything and everything golf. My name is Carlos Torres, and every week I'm alongside my co host, Fred Alvader. Fred, hi, how are you today? Hey, Carlos, uh, excited to be here. Looking forward to leaving. <laughs> Excuse me. Leaving this cold weather behind, and I'm heading to Florida on Friday for a trip around the Sunshine State and the PGA Merchandise Show in Orlando, which we're going to be talking about next week. After watching golf on TV this weekend, I am a bit confused, however. What is it with all the low scoring? Two 59s on the weekend, plus Kevin Kisner and Chez Reeve barely missed more 59s, and, and Carlos, I mean, it just all this little scoring is just mind-boggling to me. But in other golf news, Justin Thomas refuses to lose. Rory can't weather the storm and got beat in a playoff. And the Champions Tour kicked off with a fun event in Orlando. So a lot of golf to talk about, Carlos. Let's go. Let's go. We have a lot to talk about. And like you mentioned, we're going to start with the part, with the weekend backspin. We also have our part five news. And our guest, once again, I, I have lost count, Fred, how many times we've had. But the great Ron Green Jr. is going to be with us one more time. And we're going to be talking about on the practice range, the topic of the week. Ron and Fred are going to uh, tee it off, and they're going to talk about what you were saying right now. What the heck is going on in the world of low scorings here? What's next? That We're going to give you our opinions on that. But first, we're going to start with the recap of what happened on the Sunny Open there in Hawaii where Justin Thomas is taking the title away from Hideki Matsuyama as the world beater, the hottest golfer in the planet. Tell us all about it, Fred. Well, he didn't take it. I mean, he blew by Hideki as the hottest golfer on the planet right now. Uh, plus, he took over the top spot in the FedEx Cup points race. He's assured himself a spot on the President's Cup team this fall already, and he's now become one of the favorites for the majors and the players' championship. Three wins in five starts this season and two consecutive wins in Hawaii. He's 2-0 in Hawaii this year. That ain't too bad. He's earned over $3.8 million and assumed the number eight. He's moved into the top ten at number eight in the world golf ranking. Not too shabby for a 23-year-old from Kentucky. His closing 565 set a new 72-hole scoring record of 253 on the PGA Tour. He better Tommy Armour's mark of 254 from the 2003 Valero Texas Open. Other ho-hum accolades for uh, Justin Thomas? He becomes the youngest player in tour history to shoot 59. 
Eddie Jones joins Ernie Els as players who have won both events in Hawaii in the same year. He's also racking up some very impressive numbers. His 11 under par 59 on Thursday set him up for the week, but scores of 64, 65, 65 for the rest of the week left him at 27 under par. He won by seven shots over the Olympic gold medalist, that other Justin, uh, Justin Rose. His last eight rounds, Carlos, his last eight rounds, 67, 67, 67. I'm not on repeat here. It's just, and 69 at Kapalua last week, two weeks ago. Then at Sony, 59, 64, 65, 60 feet, 65. Not even close to 70. I mean, he's way under 70. Rose posted two 66s and two 64s for the week and finished at 20 under par. Man, he's seven shots back. He's playing a different tournament. He, Rose played steady. He looks good heading into the West Coast and for the rest of the season. Jordan Spieth got it going again on Sunday, firing a 63 to finish solo third. Spieth has played pretty good the last two weeks and only has a runner-up and a third-place finish to show for it. Kevin Kistner had his own 59 watch on Saturday, finished T4 with Jamie Lovemark. Chez Rivy, he also flirted with 59 on Sunday. He ended up with a uh, just a nice little 61. No wind, perfect conditions, low scoring. Justin Thomas and the Sony Open Gate Golf fans, something exciting to watch last week. And Carlos, you know how I'm always complaining about the opening of the new year on the PGA Tour and how they just don't seem to open with a splash. Well, this year, Justin Thomas brought the wow to the PGA Tour in Hawaii. Two wins by wide margins, one over the hottest golfer, Hideki Matsuyama, and again at the Sony Open by firing a 59 to open the week. The PGA Tour got exactly what it needed to start the year. The PGA Tour hits the mainland this week for the Career Build Challenge in Palm Springs, California. That's the old Bob Hope. Uh, oh, and yeah, the Clinton Foundation and a partridge in a pear tree. Carlos, back to you. <laughs> Justin Thomas, that is the reason why I wanted him on the Ryder Cup last year. He has that potential. And right now, he's setting up. I mean, he finished the, the year at 22 in the world, all the way up to number eight. Wow. I mean, he's really playing in another stratosphere. And that him and Hideki Matsuyama, wow, they're, they're really looking forward to seeing, seeing them in this side of the, of the, of the pond. What? What's, what's amazing with this kid is he's only like 145 pounds. You know, I mean, he is, he's nothing. He's, what, 5'8 or something? I, you know, he's just, he's skinny. But, man, if you look at him, and, and Ron Green talks about it, you know, he's clear up on his toes when he's swinging, and he's getting everything into it. But it, 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 he made he made the Wiley look like a pitching putt. It was, I mean, it was ridiculous. Yeah, uh, he's, he's really got the confidence. And you can see it when he's playing. It's like he feels like he can do and can shot anything. And uh, it's going to be great. It's going to be incredible. I am sounding like uh, Donald Trump right now. It's going to be incredible. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. It's huge. Anyway, it's going to be huge. It's going to be great. <laughs> it's going to be great. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. But let me tell you one thing. You mentioned it. In the European tour, Rory McIlroy, he could not weather the storm. 
Why? That was because just 84 days after missing out on his 2017 European tour card, Englishman Graham Storm won the BMW South African Open by defeating world number two Roy McIlroy on the third extra hole at the Glendower Golf Club in the city of Ekulhileni in Gauteng, South Africa for his second tour win. Yeah, I always get the difficult names and the difficult cities to, to pronounce. I, I, I agree. <laughs> You're so good at it. I got to talk about this Japanese thing later. So, so you know, you're not, uh, you're not making yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Storm began the day with the lead, but he found himself one back of a charging Rory McIlroy with two to play, but was level with the world number two at 18 under par coming down the last after McIlroy bogeyed the par 317. They pair each part of the closing hole before both pairing it again twice in a row in the Southern Death Playoff. Storm then made his fourth part of the day on that top 18, which was good enough for victory at the third extra hole after McElroy failed to get up and down from just short of the green to make bogey. This was the first European Tour victory for Storm since the 2007 French Open, which was his only other win. This victory earns him 164,408 pounds, and he is now exempt on the European Tour until the end of the 2018 season. The 38-year-old initially missed out on his 2017 card by just 100 euros, but was handed a lifeline after Patrick Reed missed the final series. Some talking points from the BMW South African Open. You know, this uh, victory from Storms will be one of the stories of 2017 after he so narrowly missed out on his card at the 2017 Portugal Masters. With his job now sorted for at least the next two years, we may see him feature on more of the leaderboards this season. But, hey, let me tell you, worrying news, Rory McIlroy has revealed that he is having an MRI scan on his back. He complained about back pain earlier in the week, but has said he thinks the pain would that he will still play in this week's Abu Dhabi HSBC Championship. A 27-year-old told the European Tour, and I quote, part of me really wants to make this week because there is so much to play for, but at the same time, there is so much to play for over the whole season, and I don't want to jeopardize long-term goals for short-term gain. Hopefully, I'll be good to go, end of quote. So, hopefully, he'll be fine. He'll be able to play, but, hey, if it's too bad, no way. Stay out, stay out, and don't play. And the third final point that I have for you is the rookie Jordan Smith. He finished on 17 under par for third alone in in third place, which is one shot off the playoff. In just his fifth European Tour event, the 24-year-old who won the 2016 Challenge Tour Order of Mary played in the final group with Storm and McElroy. And you might remember from our year-ending show, he's on the list of my players to watch this year. So he is already doing that great performance. And Fred, on a final note, some other notable finishes, Eduardo Molinari and American Peter Uline finishing a tie for seven. Yeah, I thought Uline had a good week. Uh, he was right up there, what, I think in like second or third place uh, after after 54 holes. But, you know, what a great story. Um, Graham Storm loses his card. He's the first guy out. 
And because Patrick Reed declined, decided not to play, Storm gets in by default, and then right away he wins. What a great story. That That is, I, I, I love that one. Hey, Carlos, um, the old guys uh, fired it up this week a little bit. Yeah, it was kind of an exhibition. It was an invitational. But, uh, you know, they opened the year with a fun event, the Diamond Resource Resorts Invitational from Orlando. Aquaman, Woody Austin, picked up the win and the big check. He won three times last year on the senior circuit. This was a Stableford points scored event. His 43 points on Friday would have added up to a 59 on a regular scorecard in the first round. The low score set him up for a wire-to-wire win on the Tranquillo Golf Club in Lake Buena Vista, Florida. That's right outside of Disney World there. But Austin wasn't the only winner. The Diamond Resorts Invitational is a, is a couple tournaments in one. It has 27 PGA Tour champions and four LPGA Tour pros. Lexi Thompson, Brittany Lang, Brittany Lynchcombe, and Brooke Henderson joined the fun competing for the $750,000 purse, while 47 celebrities vied for another $500,000 in a separate competition. Austin won the pro event, but the celebrity portion belonged to Mark Mulder, a former ace for the Oakland A's and St. Louis Cardinals. Other familiar names in the field included Colin Montgomery, Kenny Perry, Mark Alcovecchia, and then celebrities Larry Fitzgerald, Justin Verlander, John Lester, John Lackey, Tom Glavin, Greg Maddox, John Smoltz. Sounds like a baseball convention. Denny Hamlin, Michael Waltrip, and Larry the Cable Guy. There you go. He's left-handed, too. I saw him take a couple swings, had the sleeves cut off the shirt, got the camouflage on. He was, he was uh, all right in it. This was not an official event on the Champions Tour. The real deal gets started, as always, with the Mitsubishi Tournament of Champions in Hawaii. And guess who's going to make his Champions Tour debut this week? David Toms. Carlos, there was some golf action in South and Central America, right? Oh, yes. And let me tell you one thing. Chile's <laughs> Toto Gana. And uh, it's... Uh, you might not know what I'm going to say because many of you do not know uh, Spanish, but let me just give it to you. Ghana, which is his uh, last name, means win. And so Toto Ghana did. He Toto win. He came through a three-man playoff featuring his countrymen and close friend Joaquin Neiman and Mexico's Alvaro Ortiz to win the third Latin America Amateur Championship in Panama and earn an invitation to this April's Masters Tournament. Toto Ghana, Joaquin Neiman, and Alvaro Ortiz finished seven two-holes tied on one under par at the Club de Golf de Panama, meaning a seventh-death playoff was required to settle the third Latin America Amateur Championship. On the first extra hole, the 18th at the Club de Golf de Panama, Ghana pulled his drive into the trees, Ortiz ball found a divot on the fairway, and Neiman's outran the fairway, coming to rest just outside of a water hazard. It couldn't be worse for anybody, right? But all three walk off with par, though, and the playoff move on to the 10th. Neiman pulled his atrocious on the 10th into a plot lie in the greenside bunker. 
Ortiz then flew his ball into the green, long and right of the flag, then Ghana fired in a wide shot away from 100 yards to within a few feet of the pin. Neither Neiman nor Ortiz were able to hold out, and that left Ghana with a short putt for the title. He calmly rolled it in to become the third LAAC championship champion for the second the, from Chile, who follows Matias Dominguez's victory in 2015, which was the initial one. With the win, now Ghana has earned a place in this year's Masters. As a winner of the tournament, he receives, in addition to an invitation to compete in the Masters tournament, an exemption into the Amateur Championship, an exemption into the U.S. Amateur Championship, and any other USGA Amateur Championship for which he is eligible. In addition, he, Ortiz, and Neiman receive exemptions into open qualifying series, final qualifying with an opportunity to earn a place in the 146th Open Championship at Royal Birkdale later this year, plus an exemption into the final stage qualifying for the U.S. Open with an opportunity to earn a place in the 2017 U.S. Open at Erin Hills. Ghana and, B- and Ortiz, they began their final round at the club, the golf the Panama tied for the lead, which was one ahead of uh, Ghana's countryman and friend Joaquin Neiman. The three played together that final group during the regulation play, and by the start of the final three holes, they were locked in at one on their par. Uh, Alvaro Ortiz is the oldest player to make the cut at the age of 48. He posted a one final round of 70. The Costa Rican had led through 36 holes, and he finished the tournament level par in a tie for fourth place, just one of the players. At the other end of the player age spectrum, the youngest infant, Julian Perico of Peru, shared that tie for fourth with Ortiz. Perico led after the first first round and pushed hard through the final round to also post a four-round score of level par. The 17-year-old fired a record in this tournament of 64 in the opening round, and he closed with an excellent 69. So that's a need to look forward in the future, Julian Perico from Peru. Uh, Tomas Totogana, which is his full name, Tomas, and Toto is his uh, nickname, comes from the Chilean capital of Santiago, which is the host city for next year's Latin America Amateur Championship the fourth installment of the tournament, which will be held at the Prince of Wales Country Club in Santiago, Chile, from the 18th to the 21st of January of next year. Fred, two out of the three winners of this tournament are from Chile. Now I tell you, look up for Nima next year, as he might get his revenge in front of his home crowd. Yeah, you know, I got to watch just a little bit of this over the weekend, uh, I wish I would have had time to uh, watch a little bit more. I found these stories of the hardships that many of these kids have gone through just to play the game, let alone succeed, is just truly inspiring. Uh, many of these kids have to move away from their family and friends at a young age if they're shown to have any talent to game. They go live with uncles or aunts or grandparents who have more access to, to golf and practice facilities. In the case of Venezuela, the whole team had to move to Florida because the country banned golf. Um, it's just, um, you know, it, it was really good stuff. The, the kid that won, Gano, what, what was his age? He's pretty young, isn't he? Yes, he's 24. How 24? Yeah. Is he going? To, did he go to college someplace, or is he just stayed no, in Southern no, America? No, he's no. from Chile. No, no he stayed okay. in Chile. Wow. 
Well, it was good stuff. I, I wish I could have watched more, but I just didn't have time. But uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, the little bit of it I got to see, Carlos. Oh, no, and definitely that that you mentioned, you know, most of the Latin America uh, are really in the poor stages. And, you know, like what you mentioned is true for not only for golf, but for a lot of the things that they do in life. And uh, and that's what, like you mentioned, makes it harder for them to really excel. And that's what, what I've been saying, that maybe right now Asia is the, the prime uh, next market, but, hey, So Latin America is a market that in the future will be the next one, the next frontier to be there for golf. Latin America's biggest problem is stability of their governments. If they can get their government stable, they have natural resources. They they can do some stuff. They can can be productive, and then they can build golf courses and do those kind of things. Um, They've always, you know. Yes. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Now, the, those governments that you mentioned, the problem is that most of them are on the socialist side of it, like the Venezuela yeah. one. Uh, for a yeah. long time, while Hugo Chavez was there, uh, a lot of uh, he influenced a lot of uh, other uh, governments there, like uh, Bolivia, Peru. There has been a lot of those governments that are in the socialist part, and they are the ones that have been banning or they just don't believe in what they call the oligarchs, which is the the wealthy people. And they say that that's just for the wealthy and for them to get rich and all that. So that's why they're banning that. But even though we see some South American players to come through, and uh, we've seen there from Chile already, Matias Dominguez, and, and now we see this this guy, this guy can play, Totogana. And the other one that finished with him there, Neiman, oh, my God, he, he's a good player to watch. But, of course, they need to, to really develop more. Like you say, they have to get away from their everyday life and everyday routine, and that's really not something uh, very good for it. Well, I, I've spent a little bit of time in Argentina, and it's a beautiful country. Uh, they, they have been great golfers there for a long time. I mean, we've seen several Argentinians succeed uh, on the U.S. tour. Um, and and uh, so, you know, if these other countries can get their act together a little bit, um, you're, you could be right. I mean, uh, Latin America, South America would be a huge market for golf in, uh, going forward. Oh, they definitely are. Well, with this, we'll wrap up our bar five. five, Is that a weekend backspin? I'm sorry about that. I need a coffee. Weekend backspin. (laughs) We're going to take our first short break. When we come back, now we'll have the par five news. Don't go away. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back. In the meantime, don't forget to visit www.edraft.com for analysis, breaking news, and more. Also, remember to follow us on Twitter at edraftsports and on Facebook at facebook.com backslash edraftsports. Now, back to the show. Now it's time for the par five news. Now it's time for the par five news. See, I, I knew I was all there. things in due time. All things in due time. And as usual, Fred, 
you got the tee shot on it. So let us know what what you have in store for us. Well, didn't it just seem like yesterday we wrapped up the drama surrounding the golf competition at the Rio Olympics, and uh-huh. already we've got controversy about the golf course for the Tokyo Games in 2020. Wait, wait, Reuters, wait, wait. You you mean you mean to tell me that I have to get into the Olympic spirit again you, so you, early? You got to. I know you you I. Well, you probably haven't come down yet. You were so high on the Olympics. Anyhow, you're probably still riding a high from the West. Anyhow. <laughs> Carlos, uh, Reuters is reporting that the Tokyo governor, uh, Yuriko Koike, has asked <laughs> Kasumugaseki Country Club to admit women as full members. Evidently, The old boys at the club are not ready to give full privileges to the Japanese women. I feel very uncomfortable about women not being able to become a regular member in this area, Koike told reporters last week. The 2020 Olympic golf course bars women on Sundays. How did this slip through the Olympic vetting process for the course? I'm sure they'll get it all sorted out, but... I would love to hear some of the conversation between the old guys at the club about giving up their tea times to women members. In other developments uh, on the Olympics, Rory McIlroy said he is not enthralled with the Olympics whatsoever and probably will not participate in the 2020 Games either. If you remember, he bowed out of Rio citing the seeker virus excuse that was so popular among players that didn't want to venture to South America for no pay. We talked last week about Rory being uncomfortable with the pressure that came to bear on him about competing in the 2016 Olympics. He expounded that even more last week in South America prior to the BMW South African Open and also said because of that, he probably won't be involved in Japan in 2020 either, Carlos. Oh, my goodness. Rory, Rory, Rory. You know, I, I understand him. I, I understand where he's coming from now that he explained it last time about, you know, the, the torn that he really has under uh, being obligated to play either for Great Britain or for Ireland. And, uh, yeah, that, that's that's pretty deep stuff there that goes on because Northern Ireland, which is where he's from, is from England. And, well, I mean, and there's pretty tremendous and, pressure on him to play on one or the other also. That's what's, that's what's just unfair. Yeah, I, that part I understand it, but, you know, I, uh, it, it, it's it's a pickle. It's a pickle, really, because uh, it uh, – it, 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 Golf will be so much better if he would be able, a player like him right now that means so much to the game, would be able to be there uh, in 2020. But, you know, I, I I understand him better now, so I have to lower my attack that I had on him. <laughs> so I'm not going. Soften it, you got to soften a little bit. Yeah, I'm going to soften him a little bit and uh, because uh, I understand uh, where he's coming from with that. Uh, the only thing that I still don't get is, what he says about the growing the game, and uh, I'm still not not down with that part. Uh, he, I think he, even though he he tried to explain it a little bit better, like saying, "Hey, I'm there for uh, Ernie Els uh, 
uh, with him and his uh, foundation and helping with the kids and trying to, to get them. You know, that, that's what it is. You're growing the game anyway. You know, you're doing it. So why why you have that reluctance to say growing the game? He says that uh, the golf was here be long before him, and it'll be there long before after him. But hey, there's a way that you really need to do so much for it. That's the game that is giving you what you have right now. So there is a. I think you have to say there is this underlying. Uh, commitment that you should do to just give back and that's the way that you really grow the game you have to you cannot settle for what it is right now you can always make it a little bigger a little better for everybody carlos we're but, four you know, years we're, we're four years away still three and a half you know over three years almost four yeah, I, I'll be very surprised I mean you can say what you want to say now but I will be very very surprised if Lori McIlroy is not in Japan in 2020 in the Olympics. I, I totally agree with you. There's a long time from here to, to there. And right now I think he's still, uh, because he was really pounded. He really pounded. I know because I pounded him as well. I know. I know he was pounded a lot. He, he, he still, it's like the, the, the scar is still there, still open in, in, you know, he was just explaining himself. Now he's like, we're getting to know more about the real reasons behind what happened. But like you say, you know, in three and a half years, uh, three to be exact will be, well, yeah, three and a half while they decide who's going to be there finally. But I think, yeah, I expect him to be there. Of course, bearing that he doesn't fall out of form or that he has an injury, but he should be there and, and so will be a lot of the top players because now there's not any excuse about the the side. But the only thing that I see is what you're saying about the the women, and that that's one thing that you know Japan is is a is a country that even though they they I know that they recognize as having equal rights, legal rights to to men and women after World War II. You know the economic conditions for where for women remain in balance. I know they they earn still 40% typically less than their male counterparts are. They're still like their expectations for married women and mothers is like to stay at home. So yeah, I, that's gonna be something that they still have to move away from before that happens. But we'll see. Hopefully they they'll be able to accept at least women in that golf course. If not. Hey, there are plenty of other golf courses where they can play there, the Olympics. So we'll see. But let me tell you a little bit about the European Tour. Uh, if, it, if the intent of the European Tour's big money Rolex series is to entice leading Europeans to play at home instead of the PGA Tour, then its mastermind, European Tour boss Keith Pelly, scored his first coup with the announcement last Friday that Rory McIlroy, speaking of him, will play in the BMW PGA Championship, the first tournament in the inaugural series. McIlroy said in November he planned to play Wentworth and is living up to that promise as he will headline the field at a revamped Wentworth Club near London from May 25th to the 28th. Rory previously wasn't a big fan of Wentworth's West Course despite his 2014 success. The course has come in for much criticism over recent years for many changes, 
made by local resident Ernie Els to the original Harry Colt design, the layout has undergone a further revamp under the guidance of Paul McGinley and Thomas Bjorn, who was also once a Wentworth resident, as well as by European Golf Design. McElroy won the event in 2014 when he overturned a seven-shot deficit on the final day to finish one stroke clear of Shane Lowry before going on to win two majors later that summer. And in another win for Paley, you know, it was also announced last week that the Open de France will become the Rolex Series 8 tournament in the 2017, thanks to a new title sponsorship. It won't be the eighth in the schedule, but it's the eighth that they were looking for, finally, to be eight tournaments of this Rolex Series. And H&A Group, a Chinese-based company focused on tourism, logistics, and financial services, will become the tournament's title sponsor for five years starting this summer. The H&A Open to France is slated for June the 29th to July 2 at Le Golf National Club near Paris, which is the site of the 2018 Ryder Cup. The other Rolex Series and the events uh, for it are the Dubai duty-free Irish Open, the Championship, the Aberdeen Asset Management Scottish Open, the Italian Open, the Turkish Airlines Open, the NetBank Golf Challenge, and the DP World Tour Championships. So all eight events will offer purses of at least $7 million. And so far, so good for Keith. If Rory is going there, so will follow many of the other top players. Yeah, I think you're right, Carlos. I, you know, when this when he came out with that idea, I thought that was a pretty good one. I, I that was, I, that was one of his better better ideas. I, I think that has some real merit. And if he can get get other corporations to buy into that, he can expand that into more and more tournaments as he goes forward. But you know, the other news that came out this week, Carlos, uh, since this is all about Rory, this show, um, you know, he does have a fractured rib. Uh, it's around to the back. Um, and so it limits his swing. Um, so, and I've been reading on it, the only thing that he can do to heal this thing, there's nothing you can do, is do nothing. He can't mm-hmm. lift, he can't work out, he can't swing a golf club, he just has to take at least a month off and maybe longer. Um, so we're looking here at the third week of January. So that puts him to the end of February which gives him, if he can start playing again, uh, gives him one month so he can get two or three possible tournaments in before the Masters. So that will be time, but he's going to have to have discipline not to do anything and let this thing heal up. So um, that is a, that's a big blow uh, to Rory, and I, he's really frustrated uh, according to what I read and, and what, I, what I've heard. Hey, uh, Car- Carlos, um, Golf lost another icon uh, last week. Um, John Jacobs from England died. He was 91 and is credited with the modern role of the golf teaching professional. Jacobs was recognized the world over for his contributions to golf. He was a player of some note as a young man and an outstanding teacher for the rest of his life. He was inducted into the World Golf Hall of Fame in 2000, was recognized by the Queen with the OBE, the Officer of the Most Excellent Order of the British Empire in 1999. Jacobs won two professional events and 
made the cut in several open championships in the 1950s, back in his playing days. He was even a member of the 1955 GB&I Ryder Cup team. Jacobs won both his matches as he partnered with John Fallon. They won a forces match, and he then beat Kerry Middlecoff in a single match, one up. He holed a four-foot putt on the final green at Thunderbird Country Club in Rancho Mirage, California, for the win. Because of his personality, Jacobs made friends and was the main and mainly responsible for the start of the European Tour in 1971. He was the man Jack Nicholas pitched the idea of including the rest of Europe into the Ryder Cup, which turned about quite well for the Europeans. One of his books, Practical Golf, is widely regarded as one of the best ever written on golf instruction. He also built and designed golf courses. John Jacobs was a complete golfer and golf businessman. He had been a model for the likes of Arnold Palmer and Jack Nicklaus over the years. He was an important member of the golf community for over 60 years, and he will be missed, Carlos. He definitely will. Some sad news there for the world of golf. May he rest in peace. Maybe, not sad, but some interesting news of one of the most famous 19 holes in golf is changing hands. Texan Jack Willoughby and his Scottish wife, Sheena, owned the iconic Dumpigan Hotel in St. Andrews, Scotland, for the past 23 years, and under their ownership, the place had begun to acquire a, a reputation as arguably golf's most famous 19th hole. As the frame photos on the walls attested, the pub had hosted many notables in golf, entertainment, and other walks of life. During the years, the Dumbigans was renowned as one of golf's premier gathering spots, particularly when the old course hosted the Open Championship, it only grew. And last week, after more than two decades, decades at the helm, the Willoughby's sold the Dumbian to a group of golf enthusiasts from the U.S. and Canada that came together to purchase it. According to the Scotsman, the buyers have formed Fourth Bridge Capital LLP to make the purchase. The Willoughby's uh, put the hotel up for sale in June at a price tag of around three £3 million. The purchase price was not immediately available, but the Willoughby's told the Scotsman's that, and I quote, we are delighted to have concluded the deal with the principals at Fourth Bridge Capital, end of quote. According to one local report, the Willoughby's will maintain an interest in the hotel, which is located about a sandwich from the 18th of the old course. Well, maybe for me it's like a nine iron, but anyway. The Dunvegan Hotel is on the corner of the golf place in North Street, which is about 100 yards away from the 18th green at the old course. In its report on the deal, the Scotland observed that the Dunvegan has helped shape some great memories for golf enthusiasts from around the world. That is certainly true for many of its visitors throughout the years. And Brett, it is excellent news that the new owners intend to perpetuate the establishment's essence. That is key. Yeah, I've never had the pleasure of being to uh, the old course or being to St. Andrews, but I know that Dunvegan is a is a must see a must see stop. You you got to go there. You got to have a pint or two. You got to mix with the locals. Uh, see everybody that's there. It's, when the tournament's in town, it's the place to to be and the place to be seen. So, 
Congratulations to the Willoughby's and the new owners of the Dunvegan. Hey, Carlos. I got some news here that's very surprising to me. Um, you know, it's one of those things where you hear it and you go, did you really say that? Well, commissioner, the new commissioner of the PGA Tour, Jay Monahan, says he'll have an open mind towards gambling on the PGA Tour in the future. David Perdue, an ESPN staff writer, filed the story. Monahan is quoted as saying, you look at it, the daily fantasy sports providers, DraftKings and FanDuel, you look at gaming in the international markets, there's a lot of opportunity there. There's some complexity, and that complexity has held us back from moving forward. But we will look at it and have an open mind towards it. Currently, Nevada is the only state that has legal sports betting. But unregulated sports betting is rampant throughout the United States with billions of dollars being wagered through offshore sports books, local bookmakers, and on the Internet. Lawmakers are studying the issue, and legislation to overhaul federal gambling laws is being crafted. In addition, the American Gaming Association is forming a coalition that includes sports leagues, plans to begin lobbying to lift the federal sports betting prohibition this year. The NBA commissioner, Adam Silver, has been a big proponent of sports betting. They were the American Gaming Association said they they're working behind the scenes with others to determine and develop common cause and make sure that when they do go to Capitol Hill, everybody's on the same page. The NBA was celebrating the way public supports expanding legalized sports betting. In November 2014, Silver even wrote an op-ed in the New York Times calling for Congress to create a federal framework and regulations to allow legal sports betting. Weeks prior to Silver's op-ed, the PGA Tour declined to comment when asked by ESPN about legalized sports betting in the U.S. The PGA Tour has remained quiet on the issue since it's one of the few professional sports leagues that has not yet partnered with a daily fantasy sports provider. A PGA Tour spokesman did not immediately respond. For new PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan to make a public statement on Golf Channel, as he did, means that legalized betting on professional golf is definitely being considered, and the bean counters are working overtime to factor the percentage of income that can be added to the PGA Tour coffers because of it. The big thing will be the additional audience that it brings to the table for television. Football is so popular in part because of the millions of dollars that are bet each week on NFL football games. If a fan has a couple hundred bucks riding on a particular team or player, he definitely becomes more interested. Carlos, I'm going to go on record right now. I'm, I'm old school, I know, but I cannot see any good coming out of allowing legalized betting on golf in the United States. I know they do it in Europe. I know they do it in the U.K., I hope I don't see it in my lifetime, Carlos. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you know, as if I see Pete Rose being called uh, into the PGA Tour for some <laughs> consulting job, uh, maybe I would get worried 
for the moment, uh, I'll be fine. You know, that that's just about it. We'll see. No, but I really hope yeah. it doesn't. I really hope it doesn't. Uh, so we'll see. Hey, with that, let's wrap up our Power 5 News. Let's take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to have Ron Green Jr. and Fred starting to talk about what is going on out here with the low scoring. Don't go away. Thank you for listening to the Back Nine Report presented by eDraft.com. We'll be right back. Don't forget to check out our co-hosts on Twitter by clicking their names in the episode description. Now, back to the show. And we're back, and now it's time for the BSG Very Important Guest of the Week. His name is Ron Green Jr. As you know, he writes for the Global Golf Post right now, but he's a renowned and award-winning author and sports writer. And Fred, we're going to be talking <clears throat> during our uh, practice range about this low-scoring spree that is going on and this has been happening now for quite a while. What is causing it? Uh, we all will have our opinions on it. But you had an interview earlier today that you recorded with Ron Green Jr. Uh, about the subject. So uh, tell us a little bit about what we're going to be listening to. Yeah, we just um, uh, we talked a little bit about uh, why maybe these scores are happening. Um, you know, there was no wind really of any consequence on both weeks, uh, these first two weeks of the year over in Hawaii, which, you know, that really affects the scoring. Um, you know, too many 59s, you know, they're kind of a wonder, you know, when they happen. But now it's becoming commonplace. Um, and he makes a really good point in here about, are we going to see a low score in a major? Maybe this is the year. So, um you know, he makes some really good points, and, and we talk about some different stuff. So uh, why don't you go ahead and play it, Carlos, and then we'll, uh, we'll tear it apart uh, afterwards uh, and add to it what we've got here. Let's play it. We are happy to welcome Ron Green, Jr., senior writer for Global Golf Post, back to the Back Nine Report once again. You can read Ron's latest piece about Jim Furyk's captaincy style for the 2018 Ryder Cup to be played in France in this week's Global Golf Post at globalgolfpost.com. Ron, welcome back to the show. Nice to be back. Sort of nice to have uh, golf season going. I mean, maybe not all parts of the country, but uh, at least on the uh, television screen, pro golf is uh, off and running, leaving a little scorched earth behind everywhere they're playing right now. That's exactly what we want to talk about, the, the scoring. I know these are resort courses at Kapalua and at Wailai, but still – we're just seeing some unbelievable scoring around the world of golf. Just last week in the Sony Open at White, Justin Thomas became the youngest player to every quarter of 59 on the PGA Tour. Last year we saw Jim Furyk post 58 on tour, as well as Steven Yager carded 58 on the web.com. Uh, Ryo Ishikawa posted a 58 on the Japan Tour back in 2010. And since Al Guyberger kind of broke through in the modern era Back in 1977, with, with this 1,300 par 59, 15 other men and women, and well, one woman, 
Annika Sorenstam have posted sub-60 scores. Seven of those only on the PGA Tour. Most have occurred over the past 16 years. Only four of them took place prior to 2000. So my question to you, Ron, is what is going on? They sure are making a lot of birdies, aren't they? I mean, last week at Wiley, I mean, it was like every day there was a 59 watch. I mean, Justin Thomas started and Kevin Kisner had a chance to do it. Chez Reeve had a chance to do it. And it just it became almost routine, which is, to my way of thinking, it's unfortunate. I, it's cool when it happens once in a great, great while, but when it starts to feel almost a routine, that, that takes away something. Two things, especially the start of this year with what Justin Thomas has done. You're right, they're playing resort courses, but the plantation course at Kapalua is a big, massive golf course. But they called it there, and they called the Sony Open with no real wind. And if those courses don't have wind as part of the defense, they're very, very vulnerable. I would expect, I haven't looked at the weather forecast, I would expect that the career build or challenge in Palm Springs, a place where they're known to just shoot really low scores, that we'll get more of it this week unless it gets a big a big windstorm sort of blowing through there. I, it just speaks to how good these guys are. It, part of it, I fully believe, is equipment has uh, shortened golf courses. I know they're playing a par 70 at Wiley, but in reality, it's probably about a par 68 for those guys. I know they don't want to post that on the scorecard of a PGA Tour event, but I think that's some of what's going on. Well, Justin Thomas, I mean, he recorded two drives over 400 yards at Kapalua, and last week at Wiley, he was just taking the ball up over the trees, over the dog legs, landing the ball in the front of the green, you know, sand wedge, wedge into all those greens. You know, Wiley is not a long course, a lot of dog legs. You can cut those. It takes a lot of yardage off, but basically made Wiley a pitch and putt golf course. Yeah, there were a couple of times watching him play there where he just, I guess, on the 18th hole there, what's supposed to be a dog leg with big palm trees there, he just blew it right over top of them and, and yeah, and changed the whole character of the hole. Now, if you can do that, and we talk about it every year or so when Bubba does it down at the Masters and tries to cut the corner at 13, maybe because that's one we just never imagined that being able to have been done. But, yeah, I, I think applaud Justin Thomas for being able to do that. I mean, he is a great modern player, whatever, 145 pounds. You watch him swing in slow motion, and he's practically – He's like a ballerina almost at contact because he's up on his toes. That just hugely athletic swing he makes and uh, just maximizes the power. And what you do is you play to what you do best. And he's he's so good at everything right now, but particularly long. And you put him on a golf course like that where when you have the confidence, you can pull those shots off. You go ahead and fire away at will, knowing uh, almost certainly it's going to happen the way you visualize it. I don't know how you combat it unless you just – you know, build a wall of trees 10 feet left or right of each tee so that you take the path away. A lawn hinkle tree? Yes, <laughs> something like that. You know, I, I sort of brush off the 400-yard drives at Kapalua because of the way that golf course is built. The slopes are so great that I've been fortunate enough to play out there a couple times, and I can promise you I've hit it over 300 yards out there a time or two, and it's not because I'm a big, long hitter, but you can get it rolling in the right places. But this might be the year where we finally see somebody shoot 62 in a major. Uh, we have, we've seen guys flirt with it. I mean, going all the way back to Nick Price in 86 or whatever at Augusta, where he horseshoed it for 62 at, on Saturday at the Masters. The way the scoring is going right now, the way as good a condition as golf courses are, 
these guys have the best equipment, the best conditioning, and the best golf course conditioning. It's it's all set up for them to really shoot low scores. And I love I'd much rather watch guys make birdie than uh, part of what I don't love about the U.S. Open is just the slog it always feels like, and and yep. par is what you're playing for. And some people love to see three over par win the golf tournament. I don't do. I, I'd like to see them win the U.S. Open at about ten under every year. Now twenty seven under par on a par seventy, mm, that might be a little much. Well, you make a really good point. One of my arguments has always been that the PGA Tour kind of opens the year every year. And, you know, before they had the wraparound schedule, they used to open their season with the Tournament of Champions in Hawaii and always just seemed to kind of open with a thud, you know, like nothing really happened. But this year, with Justin Thomas doing what he's doing, it was really exciting. And the other guys that were going low, uh, you know, Kevin Kisner had a, had a 59 watch. Uh, so it, it brought a lot of excitement to the game, and I think a lot more eyes. What do you think? Uh, if nothing else, those of us who've been following for a few years have been talking about the potential Justin Thomas has to be maybe the next big thing. Joined the group of the, the top players with Jordan Spieth and Patrick Reed and all those guys. And now some of us sound like we know what we're talking about, even though you know, we're, we're basically listening to what other people are telling us to and watching. But, you know, he's got the breakthrough and he's elevated himself. I mean, he's going to be a President's Cupper. He's going to be part of Ryder Cups going forward, you assume. And the next step, obviously, will be major championships. Yeah, I think it's been a, a good start to have him do what he do, has done. And it's a stretch, obviously, but you talk, you remember what Tiger would do when he'd get on runs. And I'm not comparing Justin Thomas to Tiger. He's given everybody a break now. Justin Thomas is going to take some time off and not play this week. So uh, there'll be a fresh face up there. But, I mean, that's been – I mean, what a run he's had. And you go back to the CIMB Classic. I mean, he's won three times in this – 16-17 season. I mean, that's that's a great season for anybody, and we're just we're in the middle of in, January. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Ron, I, again, I want to thank you for taking a few minutes talking to us. Uh, I know you've got a busy schedule, so I'll let you get on with your day, but uh, thanks a lot for uh, for talking to us about uh, these low scores. Enjoyed it, and uh, hopefully some of these birdies will, uh, maybe through osmosis, the rest of us can uh, collect <laughs> some of these birdies that are being made out there. That sounds good. Ron, we'll talk to you later. Take care. There you have it. That was Ron Green, Jr., senior golf writer for the Global Golf Post. And uh, we thank him for always having time for us, a great friend of the show. And, uh, Fred, a lot of uh, great things he said there. What's your take on the low scores uh, that we're having? Well, uh, Carlos, I think it's a, I think it's just a combination of things. Um, number one, you know, Jim Furyk kind of broke the four-minute mile mark and opened up the realm of possibility for golfers to accept this low scoring. You know, expect birdie or eagle on every hole. I mean, they expect it now, especially on easy golf courses like we've seen in the first couple of weeks and, and easy scoring conditions. Ben Hogan always said the perfect round was 18 birdies, and he constantly worked to achieve that. You know, will we see a 54 in the near future? Are are golf courses too easy? Is technology to blame? Is the ball going too far? Jack Nicklaus has said for several years that they need to limit the golf ball if you want to make par relevant on the golf course. 
what about fitness? Where does that come in? All these guys are so much, they're, they're, they're athletes now. They work out, they train, especially in their flexibility. What about early training as juniors? They start now the, the, the conditions for juniors to get going, you know, at the young ages, as early as 7, 8, 9, 10. And then, and then the AJGA and the junior tournaments, the local tournaments, and, and the professional teachers, and, uh, you know, they learn so much quicker. Yeah, YLI is an old course. It's short with very tight fairways. And, and as I said in the piece there, Justin Thomas simply just took it up over the trees and cut the dog legs, uh, just leaving little short chip shots into those par fours. And the par fives were just simply par fours for him. They, you know, there was nothing fancy about it. So, you know, Al Guyberger carded the first sub-60 round on the PGA Tour in 1977 at the Memphis Classic. As I said in the piece, 16 men and one woman, Annika Swarmsamber, recorded scores of 59 in professional golf tournaments, but only five of those were shot prior to 2000. Uh, Paul Goidos fired his 59 at the John Deere Classic in 2010. Stuart Appleby followed up the very next week with a 59 at the Greenbrier. Six more 59s have occurred since 2013, so just in the last three years. These low rounds are becoming the norm and happening at an increasing rate. Uh, in addition to these 59s, as we said, Jim Furyk, Stephen Yager, and Rio Ishikawa have posted 58 in competition. So, the barrier has been broken. More golfers believe it can be done. They've seen it. Yes, there's a longer golf ball. Yes, high-tech equipment is, uh, shares some of the blame. But the fact that golfers are more athletic and better physical condition, they know more, you know, all that stuff. So, um, Carlos, it's a multi-pronged thing. It's, you can't just put your finger on one thing. I know Jack likes to talk about the golf ball. I don't think it's the only thing. I it, it, there's a lot of things that go into this. Uh, I have to agree to, with you. It's not just one thing. I mean, there, there has to be a couple of them. But still, uh, golf, golf's magic number has lost what it was. It's mystique somehow. It was once a rarity. That score of 59 is like becoming more of a commonplace. Meanwhile, now we have 59 watches that have become routine in professional golf. You know, that, that, that once unattainable score was just posted on consecutive days, like you just reported uh, on the weekend back thing on the PGA Tour by Justin Thomas. That was on Thursday in Hawaii. And then by Champions Tour uh, Woody Austin on Friday, that was at the Diamond Resorts invitation of the Tranquilo Golf Club at the Four Seasons. Uh, you know, and Austin followed his opening 59 with a 5 under 66 on Saturday. And even him, he said that certainly low rounds have become the norm, as we all know, and you said, the record now is 58 that was set by Jim Furyk last year. And you also mentioned Kevin Kisner, who missed uh, an 8-foot uh, birdie pot on Saturday in Hawaii to shoot 60. You know, seeing players go so low, it so often disheartens uh, other players and some fans, because of what I said, it's like that number is losing its mystique. It was something that we wanted to see, but not as often as just like Ron also was saying. And even par round now is like 
borders on a bad day many weeks because of advances advances in club and ball technology, like Jack Nicholas said. The darn ball, man, don't make it that way. The player training, coaching, you know, changes to golf courses, including less rough and pristine putting surfaces. You know, I remember a six-time PGA Tour winner, Steve Pate, that once said, uh, and I quote him, we get some places where the greens are perfect. Way back then, besides being a lot slower, you had guys where spikes, and you had spikes marks all over the place, end of quote. Joy Sindelar said not too long ago that the game has changed because it's pure offense now. There used to be two days of sprint and two days of chess of a chess match. And it's this is a different mentality also for, for the golfers. Uh, when Al Geiberger became the first professional to shoot 59, it was unfathomable. And it would not be duplicated until 1991 by Chip Beck. You know, 59 is not just what it used to be. Every aspect of a player's game still has to be spot on. But deeper and more talented fields and pristine golf courses made toothless by technology have increased the odds it will happen again and again and again. It could happen any tournament. You know, every tournament that is not a beastly golf course. There's going to be someone who shoots 30 and 1-9 and there's going to be a 59 watch. You know, but Fred, once the watch begins, though... I believe that the great equalizer in golf still usually wins out. Just remember what happened in the web.com tour not too long ago at the beginning of this year where there was some crazy, crazy scores. You might remember that three players failed to break 90, and there were 16 rounds, 16 rounds of 85 or worse on the par 72 there in the Bahamas in the Emerald Reef in the web.com tour. So, you know, Yes, there's still that, but I believe there's always an equalizer in golf that takes over, Fred. Yeah, well, I think we're going to see low scoring again this week. I, well, I wouldn't be surprised to see a 59 again this week, Carlos, or maybe even a 58 uh, out in Palm Springs. But here's the caveat, okay? Next, they're going to San Diego to uh, Torrey Pines. And it gets cold there sometimes, and it's foggy, and it rains there sometimes, and it's wet, and the golf course is a big golf course. It plays wet. It plays long. Then there's also a place called Pebble Beach, and the wind blows there a little bit, and it also rains, and it's also cold, and the ball doesn't go very far. So you're not going to see, uh, you know, if the weather sets in here, you're not going to see this low scoring at some of these other places. But uh Enjoy it now. You know we've got uh, you got Palm Springs, and then you've got uh, you got the uh, uh, Super Bowl weekend. You got the Waste Management Phoenix Open. They always score low there. That's always a, a fun deal. So uh, those those two weeks, I would say, are the are the chances for the low rounds yet. Uh, once uh, once they get away from that, then it's it's a little different deal. Everything gets a little bit harder, I think, Carlos. I, the golf courses are much harder than what we're seeing so far. They are, they are. And with that, we wrap up our VIG and the practice range segments where we talked about the low score and hope you enjoyed it. And if you have anything that you would like to add to us, hey, tweet to us, okay? Have your say. We want to know your take on what we're saying here, not only with this, with whatever that we're bringing out to you, but what you think about the low scoring. Tweet to us. 
Okay, at back nine report with the number nine in the middle. Let's take our last short break. When we come back, we have a final thought for you. Don't worry. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back. In the meantime, don't forget to visit www.edraft.com for analysis, breaking news, and more. Also, remember to follow us on Twitter at eDraft Sports and on Facebook at facebook.com backslash eDraftSports. Don't forget to check out our co-hosts on Twitter by clicking their names in the episode description. Now, back to the show. And now it's time for the final pods. And as usual, I'm going to take the first shot at them. Let me tell you that with a little help from her friends, Morgan Pressel managed to do what seemed nearly impossible for the second consecutive year. Morgan and friends fight cancer tournament at St. Andrew's Country Club in Boca Raton, Florida, reached a $1 million mark in money raised. Pressel started this event a decade ago to help fight uh, breast cancer, which took her mother's life at an early age. Six years ago, money raised from the event helped to make possible the Catherine Crickstein Pressel Mamovan, uh, Mamovan, a mobile named after Morgan's mother, which provides exams and care to residents throughout the Palm Beach area who would otherwise be unable to afford treatment. The event has also provided support to the Lynn Cancer Institute Breast Cancer Center at Boca Raton Community Hospital, as well as the Sylvester Cancer Center at the University of Miami. This year's fundraiser was supported by several of Pressel's fellow LPGA professionals, including Paula Creamer, Lexi Thompson, Brittany Lincecum, Jerina Peeler, world number one Lydia Cole, Brooke Henderson, and Nicole Castrale. Also, the Champions Tour denominator, Bernhard Langer, he also showed his support this year. A great thing, great, uh, great cost. Great to see him uh, reach that $1 million mark again. Also, multiple-time major champions, Sam Pedersen and longtime partner Christian Ringwald got married on Saturday with a number of Pedersen's LPGA peers on hands to celebrate the nuptials. The couple held their ceremony at the Holman 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 Collin Chapel in Pedersen's native or Norway in Oslo. Uh, Pedersen's is the first LPGA Tour player from Norway. Uh, a number of Pedersen's peers came to the wedding in support. Uh, Pedersen turns 36 in April, and she won uh, what's now called the KPMG Women's PGA Championship in 2007 and the Alien Championship in 2013 for her major wins. Uh, the couple engaged back in 2015 are now off to their honeymoon just before the start of the 2017 LPGA Tour season. So she'll be very happy when she comes back. Uh, the Lodge, finally, the Lodge of Four Seasons is launching an innovative pricing model this year in hopes of offering new golfers uh, new value. According to a press release from the Waterfront Resort on Horseshoe Bend, it's new golf by the hour. At the Cove and the Ridge Golf Courses allows players to pay for the amount of time spent playing the course rather than the traditional method of paying for a set number of holes. Hourly pricing gives golfers, particularly locals and leisure guests, the best value for a game, no matter how long they play, that's what the press release states. Although traditional pricing will still be available at both courses, 
The new pricing model is the direct response to analysis and feedback from guests looking for better value and more opportunities to play. Fred, I think this is a fantastic idea and one more way that the industry is looking to adapt to the times and incorporate ways to attract more players. You know, golfers who play faster don't want to pay a full rate when they're on the course for a fraction of the time. Then there are also players who play who pay for a full round but run out of time before finishing their game so they, they feel like they're losing money or the ones who just say i have just one or two hours let's see how much i can play that time to me for this is a great idea and a great way to start attracting more players yeah you know they're all looking for uh, a way to make it more attractive to players get more people involved bring more people onto the golf course they're just they're looking for anything they can cause. Hey, uh, the Golf Writers Association of America announced uh, some additional award winners. Um, outgoing PGA Tour Commissioner Tim Fincham will be recognized with the William D. Richardson Award for Outstanding Contributions to Golf. Champions Tour player and U.S. Senior Open Champion Gene Sowers will receive the uh, GWA's Ben Hogan Award. Sowers overcame severe physical illness to return to professional golf and compete and win at the highest level. He was forced to stay away from golf for six years as he battled Stevens-Johnson syndrome, a severe skin disease. Ben Crenshaw and Stuart Sink will also be honored at the ISPS Handa GWA Annual Awards Dinner presented by the PGA of America, PGA Tour, and USGA on April 5th at Augusta National. I'm sorry, Augusta, Georgia. Um, We've got the PGA of America posted the qualifying schedule for the 2018 Drive, Chip, and Putt competition. So visit their website, pga.com. If you have a child who wants to compete to earn a trip to Augusta National and the Masters, get them in there now and start practicing. I've seen some of these kids' games, and they're very good. Jim Furyk didn't take long to announce his first vice captain for the 2018 Ryder Cup in France. Victorious American Ryder Cup captain Davis Love will do cart duty and help Furyk try to capture a second straight Ryder Cup. The World Golf Foundation has announced that the National Golf Day is set for April 26th. If you want to visit Washington, D.C. and promote the great game of golf to the windbags that roam the halls of Congress, this is your chance. My guess is that with the notorious golfer Donald Trump in the White House, golf will not need too much exposure to the political types in the nation's capital. The wine mayor wrote a piece on Nicholas Colsarts in this week's Global Golf Post. It gives readers a unique insight into the difference of playing on the European Tour and the PGA Tour. It is difficult for a European to come to America to play full-time, and the support system and camaraderie with fellow players just isn't there in the U.S. And Carlos, I'm happy tonight there's going to, to announce there's going to be a new edition of Back Nine Report TV on Roku beginning on Wednesday, tomorrow. There are going to be segments on adapt, adaptive golf, golf simulators for us golfers that are stuck in cold weather. And Evan Scholar's video that shows the effect of Evan scholarship and a college education it can have for a young person. Plus... I go on a little rant, which I've been known to do from time to time, about video replay in golf as well as in other sports. And, Carlos, next Tuesday I'll be coming to you live from the PGA Merchandise Show in Orlando 
the largest meeting of business professionals in the world. Uh, hopefully I'll have some interviews for you guys from down there. And you'll be like a little kid with the new gadgets coming out there. Yeah, it's just like yeah. Disney World, baby. It's just yeah. like Disney World. <laughs> and it's just in Orlando, so hey, it's just like going to Disney. Back Niners, that wraps up another week of the Back Nine Report presented by eDraft.com. Thank you for listening. It's always our pleasure to bring you the latest on the world of golf. Special thanks to our VAG, very important guest of the week, Global Golf Post senior writer Ron Green Jr. Thanks for being once again with us. Don't forget to join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time here on Block Talk Radio. Or if you missed it, check it out on iTunes or TuneIn and be sure to check out our exploits on the Roku channel. They're going to be more and more often and often. And if you haven't done so, hey, follow the show. Talk to us. Tweet to us on Twitter. Our ID is at Back9Report with the number nine in the middle. My name is Carlos Torres along with Fred Alvader. We wish you to be happy, be blessed, and hey, enjoy the great game of golf. Happy golfing, everybody. Good night, everybody. <laughs>